gives this the dagger. Oh! Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. This is Podcast 78. Yes, it is the Tuesday after the long weekend. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he's Robin Brownlee. And kicking us off today, or facing off, I guess, Peter Labardius <laughs> from Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary, because it is opening week of the National Hockey League schedule. We've talked plenty of Oilers over the last few weeks, but it's time to check in with not only Peter... But we'll also be talking with Ian McIntyre from Vancouver to find out what's going on out west. But Pete joins us. How are you doing today? I am uh, fabulous, guys. Always a pleasure. Did you have an enjoyable Thanksgiving weekend? I had an incredible Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, had an opportunity to have my uh, wife in and her mom and my stepdaughter from Ontario and had an incredible dinner at my cousin's and was with a bunch of family. So I don't get that opportunity very often. So it was uh, fabulous. Hey, and just before we get started on the flame stuff, I know that you're in fine broadcasting form because I saw over the weekend that you were practicing your play-by-play. Tell us, Dad, what happened there this weekend? Well, it's not only just this weekend, but the only bad part about the weekend was my son also came up from Edmonton, which is where he resides, and uh, he got sick. And so his stay in Calgary was short. But my son's on the spectrum. And, you know, I don't see him anywhere near as often as I do, as I'd like to. So we have a little bond where he started up this Super Mario Baseball League. And he plays the game. And he wanted me to call the game. So kind of started a few months ago and uh, it's been our little bond and so it's been really neat and yesterday was still pretty down and out and sad that he had to leave so it was uh, a good time to uh, play the fifth and deciding game of our <laughs> semi-final series beautiful love it cool well yeah Robin, should we dig right in here on the flame stuff today? Because we uh, have been watching what's going on in Calgary on the periphery, but Pete's right in the middle of the mix. So uh, where do you want to start with this team, Peter? Uh, how do you feel about things after the preseason? Well, you know, I don't think anything really surprised me in the preseason outside of Daryl Sutter talked a lot about the, the eight-game schedule, how it was set up probably not the best thing for a flames team with a bunch of new faces and trying to bring everybody together. Um, Here's how I feel in a nutshell. I think they're going to be harder to play against. Um, They're probably not going to score a lot. They need some real bounce back years from people who have 
done excellent things, but did not last year. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of unanswered questions in Calgary that only the season will answer. Peter, the one thing I look at, and, and it's not the only component of what makes this team tick, but it's a, it's a big one. Uh, Giordano is gone. How much does that change? Not only the on ice ability of that blue line, but I guess the, the, the character of the team teams tend to take on a little bit of what their captains are like. And uh, you know, he was a hell of a player. Robin, it's, it's a massive change. And I don't think there's any question that at some point down the road, you'll see the number five lifted to the rafters at, whether it's this building or the new building, hopefully when that starts to really come to fruition, you, you can't replace Mark in, in any way, shape or form. Um, he was an unbelievable leader in terms of how he prepared, how we played. And the one thing I'd say about him, and you know, we've been around this sport our whole lives. I can't say this about everybody, but I never have left the hockey rink watching Mark feeling like he didn't leave everything he had every single shift that he played. And, and I'm not sure I've ever watched an athlete get more out of what they have than Mark has in his career. So Seattle's lucky to have him. Calgary's turned the page and yeah, there will be a big void, but that's a big part of it. Robin, as you know, it's, who's going to not necessarily fill those shoes as one person, but how, but how does your team change? How does the chemistry change? And the only thing that Mark left here unhappy about was during his tenure, they didn't have a lot of playoff success. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. So with Gio going out before we talk about the team as it is right now, Let's address the elephant in the room and this Jack Eichel stuff that's gone on now for months. Mm-hmm. And now I hear there's they're down to two teams. Calgary's one of them. Is there any chance this is going to get done? Or is this just nothing it. more than talk? Well, I mean, this situation has been nothing but talk forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, the difference is now teams have more medical information and a couple of things. What do you willing to give up to get them yep. in understanding. I don't see with this disc replacement surgery that he wants to have and is likely going to have. Is he back even at all this season and likely not before March or April, I'm going to guess. But if you're the flames and you don't have someone of that ilk and you're in a division that includes the Edmonton Oilers, I'm not surprised that they've kind of been in the mix for quite some time. So we'll see where it goes. Peter, one new person I look at, uh, Blake Coleman. Um, Mm -hmm. You got to look who leaves. You got to look who comes in. Um, And also Derek Ryan is left. He's up here with the Oilers, uh, uh, more of a bit player. I shouldn't say bit player, but a a role player. Uh, What have you thought of Coleman so far? Well, Blake is one player, Robin, I'm not the least bit concerned about. He's a terrific 200-foot player. 
We've all watched what he's done the last two years in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He adds speed to this lineup, which is important. He rounds out their top six, which for this group is very, very important. You can use him in every situation. He plays with some edge. Um, I think he's going to be a really, really good add for this group. As far as the other individual, Derek Ryan, for a long time, has been one of my favorite people in hockey. And there is no team that would not be better as a result of having Derek Ryan on your team and in your organization. He is an absolute gem of a human and they're lucky to have him in Edmonton. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to be a key pickup for the hockey club here for uh, the bottom six depth. Okay. Let's talk about the netminder in particular, Markstrom, who, Mm -hmm. when he was with the Vancouver Canucks, I felt was really the glue of that franchise. He was the guy who was able to bail them out time after time after time and keep them competitive. I expected that from him last season with Calgary, but it's just the way the season worked out. How has he adjusted? What has he done over the summer months to come back in with a little bit of a different attitude in a year that's really, I think it's a critical year for him. Well, I did some profiles recently and I said, he will have to be their best player. And last season, now he's the first to say that it didn't go quite as well as he would have liked. Right. But, but, but his season was like a sandwich. It got off to an unbelievable start. He had a terrible collision with Tanner Pearson in a game here in Calgary. My guess is, is then he rushed himself, mm-hmm. took him a while in the middle of that sandwich to come back. And then in the last three weeks, he was dynamite again. Um, he is not only a fine goalie, but he might be the hardest worker, especially now that Giordano is gone on this team. He is a culture guy. He hates losing. He's way more than what you see. And, you know, further to what Robin asked, we don't always talk this way about a goalie, but when you're looking to fill the void of someone like Mark Giordano, I think in that room, and he'll be even more important in that room because people don't always realize your room was different last year. Guys were in different rooms getting ready for games. So again, he's, he's the least of my worries, but I understand too, that he's going to have to be probably around nine seventeen, nine eighteen this year on a very regular basis to give this team an opportunity. Peter, when the flames uh, made the coaching change, I thought Daryl would have, more of an impact than he did. Now, I understand he doesn't play the games, uh, but just his influence uh, would make a bigger difference, move the needle more than what we saw. Uh, Did he just not have the makeup and the uh, type of team needed to play the way he wants to play? Um, And if that's the case, is the personnel he has this year more capable of playing the kind of hockey that Daryl Sutter wants to play? Well, I'll answer the last one first, and I would suggest that, yes, the personnel is now more experienced, more of a veteran nature, um, has some more bite. Robin, 
when you make a coaching change in the middle of the year, now every once in a while you get a Mike Sullivan situation and it takes off and you win a Stanley Cup. But most of the time, um, it's it's a massive change. Yeah. And when you go from Jeff Ward, personality-wise, to Daryl, and Daryl's a great coach, um, it's very different. And Daryl, in those 30 games the team cut their goals against down by half a goal. That's a very, very significant change. And, um, but I don't ever think you can really judge until a coach has a full training camp. You know, the greatest thing for the flames and for Daryl is he got a 30 game look to see what he liked and didn't like and put his own stamp on it. Now we'll see you know, when we have this conversation this year, then I think it's an easier conversation to have. But in Calgary, I'm not going to make any bones about it. It's been really hard because you've changed coaches a boatload. Yeah. And you guys know, oh, yeah. you know, even when you have good players, when when you're changing key pieces a lot, it's usually not a good thing. Peter, how's the foot speed on the hockey club? Because it's the one thing that I hear when I talk to people around the league that they they question a little bit. Now you're closer to it, and you got to keep up with the Oilers. You got to keep up with Vegas, so, uh, two of the quicker teams, I think, in a lot of respects. It's one thing to be big, but do they have the speed to match the big part? Speed is always an interesting conversation to me because nothing in the sport of hockey, outside of maybe Connor McDavid moves faster than the hockey puck. And yeah. that's not my line, but it's, but it's very, very true. Yeah. Um, you know, would I describe the Calgary flames as having a bunch of burners? No, no, I wouldn't. Um, is speed a bit of a concern? Yes. In adding even somebody like Blake Coleman, does that help with that situation? Yes. But for the flames, their identity is going to be, how do you defend? Okay. How do you manage the puck? How do you transition it from your own end to the other end? How do you forecheck? Um, Yes. You know, Daryl said it a ton in this tenure. They don't have elements that other teams have. They don't have Connor McDavid or Dreisaitl. You know, they don't have some of the high-end people. But they're going to have to do this by committee and being a team, and really, it's a 3-2 league. I don't care what team you are. I think the stats have said for many years, if you can get to three every night on average and keep it under two and a half, you're going to win a lot of games. Last year, if I'm not mistaken, two teams in the league averaged four goals a game. Yep. But but especially when it matters, you got to keep it out of there. I know we all focus on who can put it in there, and that's important. But can you defend elite-level people? And, you know, for the Flames, that's what they're going to try to do. And without Giordano and still a very young defense in terms of age and the core of that group, minus Chris Tanev, that's a work in progress too. Peter, I was going to go there. Uh, next, uh, obviously, we've got games to play, uh, but what you've seen so far, 
what would you characterize as uh, from what you've seen so far? Hey, that looks pretty good. That could be a strength. And on the flip side, what have you looked at? And you just mentioned that defense. Hmm. I wonder if that's good enough. Well, the one thing Robin through the preseason and like I said, off the top, the schedule hasn't always allowed them to have the right cohesion. Daryl said it many times. They really like their top three guys talking about Tanev, Hannafin and Anderson, who in Anderson, I thought he had a up and down season last year. He's only 24, but it's, it's how the bottom three, not just as individuals, but how they're going to fit. So right now I expect them to play Zadorov in the top four. Mm-hmm. Okay. He might, he might be the most key guy on defense because you need, and this team especially will need to have a quality top four to give themselves a chance night in and night out. Now Zadorov, who, you know, is nasty with a capital N, um, I would describe his preseason as up and down, but I don't like to put a lot into the preseason for veteran guys. And I'd add another element, two of them, in fact. Usually takes big guys a little longer in the preseason to get up to speed. And let's be honest, I saw several no-hitters during the preseason. And if your forte is, you know, being physical and hard, you're going to favor the more intense, more on the line situations. But if, if he can deliver or somebody in the group can step up and solidify the top four, I think they're going to be okay. I think they have enough options to have a pretty good six. In fact, even up to eight, but how's it all going to fit? And, and that's, you know, probably the question mark up front, Matthew Kachuk. Yep. Has got to be at his best. Johnny Gaudreau has got to be at his best. Um, Sean Monahan. Sean Monahan, who is healthy and moving better after playing almost all of last season with a pretty serious hip problem, right. which affects mobility and how you shoot the hockey puck, which is one of his great fortes. This team's going to have to do it as a four-line group because they don't necessarily have a lot of game breakers. They have good players, including their most important forward, and I think best in Elias Lindholm. He's a good player. He is. He's, he's a really good hockey player. Um, so that's, that's how I'd answer that question. We only have a couple more minutes here, but a, a Hall of Fame broadcaster that I know that you know and Robin knows – by the name of Peter Marr, always mm-hmm. used to tell me, he said that those first two, the first two months of the schedule are what make or break your playoffs, obviously. Do you like the Flames schedule in the month of October, and what can they do with it? Uh, no, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Um, you know, the first two months, they have a five-game road trip, yeah. which, which comes after game two, and in November, they have a massive seven-game road trip. So a lot of home cooking come March. So, you know, Mr. Marr, I'm of complete belief of that too. You really help to set the table between now and kind of the start of December to, to put your foot in 
in the water. After that, you solidify where your foot goes, and then you hope to be in a good situation to give yourself an opportunity. So, um, no, it's not the most favorable schedule for sure. Okay. But we'll see how it goes. Well, the flip side of that, Peter, is what we touched on earlier. Um, They go right out of the blocks uh, with Daryl walking behind the bench. This club and personnel, old, new, and in between, is going to know what he expects. There's no transition here. No, none. And there's there's also no gray area. (laughs) One thing about Daryl that is crystal clear is what, as a player or anybody else around him, what he expects and what he wants. And you know what? For the most part, I think that's how most people would like it. Now, Absolutely. Now, if you're a younger player, and we saw this on two or three occasions last year after he took over, tough love can be difficult for anybody. Yeah. So if you can get through that and understand that this guy knows what he wants and understands it. And if you can, you know, be at your best under that scenario, then it's only going to help. To wrap this baby up one name. Who's the sleeper guy on the flames team this year? Who's the one guy that you expect to come out of the woodwork and make an impact? Dylan Dubé. Mm, Good pick. Love it. Hey, thanks for your time. Great. We'll check in during the season, okay? Okay, guys. Always great to be with you and stay well. And uh, I think you're going to have some fun up there this year watching that group. Well, you're looking good and you're feeling young. Is that how it goes? How does it go again? You're I, I, you're, you're the one. looking a wee bit young. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. Okay, okay stay young. Bye, guys. <laughs> Well, I had kind of an enjoyable week last week. Robin, your week was okay. Eddie Steele had a crazy week, and he joins us on the podcast. I don't even know where to start, Eddie, but uh, Robin, yeah, I'll let you throw the first question out first. Well, Eddie, we know, we know what happened last week. Uh, you know, you you were on the Rod Peterson's show. Um, you made some remarks about the the Edmonton Elks, where they're at, and why you thought they're where they are today. Um, you've, I've heard you all over the place since then. I've heard you on Ryan Jesperson. I've heard you on a bunch of shows. Uh, now that you've had time to think about it, I, I'm curious as to what you make of it. Were you let go because you said anything that wasn't true? Or do you think you were let go just because you criticized uh, uh, the team that you're a rights holder for? I think it's the latter. Um, it's clear my criticism was pretty accurate. Uh, it's pretty obvious just looking at the organization. And, you know, even as we sit here this morning, uh, they announced how they, they're benching their starting quarterback for there, I don't know if it'll be the remainder, but for the foreseeable future, and uh, I think there was a, it was a case of some some ego driven decisions as well uh, in terms coming from the general manager, and um, he didn't like what I had to say. And from what I've heard quite often from other uh, personalities in the media, um, he doesn't take too kindly to criticism, and uh, he really gets his guard up 
when there is any criticism pointed his direction. And I think, uh, as I've mentioned to people, he, uh, the Elks are the ones who called for the hit, but Chet ultimately was the one who pulled the trigger on me. See, here's the thing for me, and, and Rob and I were having a coffee before we went on, on the podcast air the today, and I said, you know, it's not so much what was said by Eddie, it's just the fact that, well, how much broadcast, how much, how much broadcasting experience do you have? Because I don't think you got a lot of help here, because often it's not what the message is, it's how it's said. Do you feel a little let down in that regard as well? Yeah, I, I definitely do, because there is no broadcasting experience. There was, I didn't even get talked to before I got the opportunity with Chad. They didn't say any do's and don'ts or anything. And look, I, I'm accountable for my mistakes, but it's funny because some of my colleagues, even as I was saying some things uh, about the general manager, uh, I would get texts from them and they were loving what I was saying because they agreed. But uh, yeah, I didn't realize, you know, that I was crossing the line the way I did. And uh, now knowing how the partnership works and whatnot, I realized the mistake. But, yeah, I, I was only saying things that everybody was thinking, but nobody said it. And I was the guy who said it. Well, here's the best part of this is this doesn't end your broadcast career. If anything, this can elevate it because now all you got to do is like it would be if you were learning football. You just learn and learn and learn through experience. This is I hate to say it right now, but in another couple of weeks, you're probably going to look back on this and say to yourself, you know what? That was a great learning experience, and I can build off of that. Are you starting to sense that at all yet? Absolutely. I certainly am. And just, you know, speaking to so many different outlets since it's happened and just realizing, you know, there is going to probably be some more opportunities that come my way. I don't know what that's going to be, but it is a learning experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I went through it. I really am because that's the best way to become better is to learn and make mistakes and move forward. I, I was a little bit shocked, though, uh, and I was speaking to someone in Saskatchewan uh, last week, and they even admitted to, like, no warning or anything. Like, I just got the axe instantly. Uh, typically, you know, that I guess doesn't always happen. You might get a talking to or say, hey, look, you can't do this again. But I, it was radio silence from Ched uh, until I got the phone call pretty much saying you're done. Eddie, you're new to the broadcasting business, but you're you're not new to the game of football. I mean, you played in this league for nine years. You won a great cup uh, here. Uh, you are not a stranger guessing about how team culture works. When you look at this group, and I'm sure you know some of the guys and old players talk to new players, What's wrong with the culture of this team right now? Because to me, it starts at the top, but that's not for me to say that's for a player with experience uh, would have more insight. What's wrong with this team right now? You know, there's it's hard to just point your finger at one thing and say, oh, that's the issue. Of course, we all know it does start at the top with management, and that's their job is to establish that, and then so on and so forth with the coaching staff and then yeah. uh, the leaders in the locker room. Uh, so, yeah, that that is a factor for sure. I just feel like um, there's been so many issues surrounding this team that it's really just taking its toll on a lot of the guys in the locker room. Uh, you can, it's clear as day that on the football field, they're not playing uh, as a team. And I've been on good teams and I've been on bad teams. And you know, when you're on the bad teams, you're not really playing for each other. You're not really having as much fun. 
It's football. Ultimately, it's a game. It's a business and a job, but it is a game, and it's got to be fun. And they're not having much fun. And when you lose games, losing's not fun. I can tell you that much. So there, there's a lot of different uh, issues around this organization. But again, I, I think the vast majority of the issues begin with the tone that's been set uh, from management on down. And uh, we're just seeing it play out right now. Do you remember, and uh, I'm going to go back through your CFL career here. Do you remember one bad mistake and you thought you'd never recover from that? Is there one or two plays where you went, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that? <laughs> Every bad play you have. <laughs> That's the feeling. Because the coaches, the, you're analyzing everything. Pro football and pro sports in general, but football more so than other sports. It's You're always walking on eggshells kind of because – there's so many guys that they can bring in to replace you. There's such a pool of guys. Right. And, you know, between the NFL, CFL, there's 2,500 football players. And there's millions of guys trying to get those jobs. I tell people, the minute you sign a contract, they're looking to replace you because they're either looking to go younger or cheaper, always. So if you don't step six inches correctly this way, you don't get your hands exactly where they should be on a play. Right. Man. The coaches will let you know. Well, I bring it up because you go on to win a Grey Cup championship. You make mistakes all the time. So you can't be uh, too downtrodden on what's happened here over the past week or so. You will uh, you will thrive. I just know it. There's some other stuff going on, too, Robin, that we got to get to. Yeah, Eddie, I want to get specific with you. Um, you know, you talked about things, uh, you know, earlier you mentioned the firing of Dwayne Mandrusiak after 49 years. To me, that doesn't happen when the culture is the way it should be. I mean, that's not 15 years or 20 or 25, 49 years. Are you kidding me? You get rid of a guy like that. The other thing, and let's be clear, um, the Joe Moss situation. Now, I heard you on Jesperson talk about it. It's been out there. We've had denials run through uh, the Moss family, which makes me cringe a bit because I don't ever want to be seen as criticizing the Moss family. But I'll tell you, what I said was in a tweet, it wasn't a story, it was just a tweet, and you know this, but some people might not. You know, what does it say about the culture of a team that lets go a loyal employee like Dwayne Mandrusiak after 49 years and uh, bans uh, Joey Moss uh, from the locker room. Now that brought a lot of heat. And I talked to multiple people on that. I, I cannot and will not say who they were, Eddie, um, but they're people I trust and people I think know the situation. And I was told uh, in no uncertain terms, uh, Joe Moss was banned from the dressing room. I've heard it characterized as, well, I don't know if it was banned. Well, if, if you say you don't want somebody around the dressing room, whether you say banned or barred or just keep that guy out of here, to me, it's the same thing. What can you tell us that you know or that you feel strongly about this situation because I don't think we're getting the truth from the ball club. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, we obviously have read the statements that came out, especially the first one from the organization, and they really uh, – it was a very political answer, and it really didn't address uh, the issue 
that was they were being accused of, and that was banning Joey Moss from the locker room. It had nothing to do with saying he wasn't a part of the organization or anything like that. So that was they didn't help themselves in that statement. I think a lot of people kind of read through that. Much like yourself, I've spoken to a lot of people about that issue, uh, a lot of uh, very <laughs> close people involved, and again, not going to name names, but there was, you know, definitely a situation where uh, I think they didn't want uh, Joey around. Now, I've heard a few things, A, potential health-related issues, um, and, and B, you know, potential distraction to the guys, and just to those involved. So uh, I don't, I've really tried to pinpoint the exact issues. And I've, honestly, I've heard two different things. And I just mentioned health related or distraction, but I've spoken to some people who were directly involved with the situation. And uh, yeah, it, there was probably some things said where Joey probably shouldn't be around. That's for sure. It's kind of sad, too, because here we are almost approaching the one-year anniversary of his passing, and I only love thinking about good stuff with Joe, not stuff like this. But uh, I don't know, Robin, do you want to close the, the book for now on this? Well, yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, you know, Eddie's had to talk about his own situation for over a week now, yeah. and I get that, although we'd communicated and I wanted to let him know I felt bad how it went for him. And then also his situation sparked me to, to mention Joey. Cause you know, after a while things start to pile up a little bit and I'm thinking, Oh, here's something else um, that's happened. Uh, you know, one thing here or there, they happen with all organizations, but if you get into a pattern about the way people are being treated, et cetera, et cetera, I think at some point there's just time to speak up. And I will say this, Bryn and Eddie, uh, I've been in contact with people and I believe that time that people will actually come forward uh, and will be something more than sources say that time is coming when okay. it comes to this Joe Moss situation. Eddie, let's, let's, uh, let's close that off. I, I got to talk to you about the season though here. Winnipeg Blue Bombers head and shoulders better than anybody. Yeah, they are. They're, and you want to talk about uh, organizational culture. I mean, it begins from, again, the top down. And they've really taken the identity of their head coach, Michael Shea. He was known as a hard-nosed, rugged player, you know, kind of a nasty guy, didn't take much crap from anybody. And that's exactly how this team has been molded. And ever since he took over as the head coach there, uh, one of the biggest things I've noticed, just even be being a player against them, is their offensive line. And they are some dogs out there. And wow. they don't get a lot of recognition, but the game is won and lost in the trenches with the offensive and defensive linemen. And their offensive linemen, they don't want to just block you. They want to put you put your soul through the turf. So you got to always be on your game when you're playing them because that's the strength of their team. It's the offensive line. And the Calgary Stampeders all of a sudden are surging and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are looking over their shoulder a little bit. Are you surprised by that? You know, to a degree, I am surprised a little bit. Saskatchewan, they got out of the gates pretty hot, and they, they kind of had a few stumbles here over the past few weeks, and it was kind of opposite. For Calgary, they were really slow out of the gates. I mean, they were sitting at, I think, one and four at one point. And, uh, you know, but again, organization, and they're so used to having success, and they know how to do 
the little things the right way. So it's tough to really count Calgary out uh, any time because they, as long as Huffnagel's there, uh, they're going to have a pretty well-run operation. And again, you want to talk organizational culture. Uh, you look at why they're so successful. They're not a team that goes and makes big splashes. They're not a team that hires coaches from uh, other teams or anything. They're always promoting from within, always having that internal growth. And that's why Calgary is always going to be good. What do you think of uh, uh, BC, Eddie? They're, they're hit and miss. They're hit and miss. Uh, Mike Riley, he's had a couple of really good games, but uh, just even his last outing wasn't a very good game uh, for himself personally. As long as he's the leader, though, and the captain, I'm a big Mike Riley fan. I believe in him. He obviously, I've won a great cup with him, and I know I've played four years with him. I know what type of player he is. Uh, what type of guy he is, what type of man he is, and uh, that's a warrior. And whenever your quarterback is a warrior like that, it really uh, galvanizes a team to want to play for him because when he's putting his head down and getting extra yards for the team, you know he's selling his body out for the team and he's he's laying it on the line essentially. And especially as a defensive player, that makes you want to play that much harder for your quarterback. And then down east, you've got Toronto, you've got Hamilton, and every once in a while I think, oh, Hamilton's coming on. Oh, wait a minute, Toronto. Then you think Toronto's coming on. Oh, hang on a second, Hamilton. That's going to be fun down the stretch. It really is. The the battle there, Southern Ontario, and it's a good rivalry too. I mean, 45 minutes up the road from each other and – yeah, it's uh, they're both right in it. It's it's going to be a tight one. I think Montreal will be there too, but there's news uh, coming out now with Vernon Adams. He's going to be missing a few games because he has an injury from the game yesterday. So yeah. uh, it'll be tough because he's a, he's a one of the heart and souls of that team. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. But yeah, with Chris Jones in Toronto, he's going to get that defense firing on all cylinders. And Mazzoli, the quarterback in Hamilton, is now healthy and looks to be playing some pretty good football. So it's it's going to be a fun race to the end here. Okay, and to kind of wrap things up here a little bit, now what for you down the stretch? Uh, are we going to see you pop up on things like podcasts like us? Uh, I, I heard you were on Gregor's show a little bit as well and all sorts of – are you just going to work your way around a little bit or are you going to set in some roots? Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now is kind of working my way around. And, you know, people keep saying there'll be opportunities that pop up. And I, I do firmly believe that I'm not out here chasing it or anything like that. If the right opportunity comes my way, uh, I'll be very fortunate and uh, try and take it and run with it. But I'm just being patient and seeing what happens and it'll all work out. Well, I tell you, Eddie, before last thing for me. I hope there's uh, an organization out there, whether it's TV, radio, whatever, uh, that appreciates honesty because an honest take uh, is not the most common thing in the business these days. Um, there's the old thing. And for me, it was hockey. Um, you know, the guys who broadcast a certain team, they're supposed to kind of, you know, uh, always look on the bright side and you know sometimes it need, things need to be said and i'll tell you what i don't know if you were listening uh after uh this last game the loss against winnipeg i thought the guys there were bringing it pretty good blake dermott and those guys uh speaking honestly you won't go wrong you'll never go wrong eddie uh being honest i mean you went wrong this time but that was the situation i i think uh somebody's going to look at that and say hey we could use some of that 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's funny. I, I was texting with Blake and the guys out there, and they did bring it pretty good. And then CFL, the panel on CFL and TSN, they, they brought it pretty good and pretty much reiterated what I said. And you just look at how things are unfolding with the organization. And, you know, to a degree, I feel very validated the fact that they've just been, you know, the, the loss that they took last week. Now they're benching their starting quarterback. And it, it, it's clear that what I was saying, has some truth to it. So I wasn't just talking out of my butt and making it up and just trying to make a splash. I was just speaking the truth from what I know and what I've heard from the inside. And it's, it's playing out exactly how I thought it would, to be honest. Hey, will you bring the truth if we get you on before Grey Cup? 100%. Love it. Hey, thanks for your time today. That's fantastic. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity, guys. Sir. I really appreciate it. Well, a few moments ago, we chatted with Peter Labardius from Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary, to find out what's going on with the Flames. Now we just go over the Rockies, and we check in with journalist-slash-broadcaster on Sportsnet, Ian McIntyre. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And when you say over the Rockies, it reminds me of the summer of 20 in the bubble in Edmonton because I drove back and forth over the Rockies about four times during the Canucks run. Here you are, you're flying out now for the home opener of the Edmonton Oilers and it's against the Vancouver Canucks. Let's talk about preseason and how everything's gone for the hockey club based on the end of the season and to now. Where is this team sitting, Ian? Well, the preseason wasn't great. It was it was uh, almost as imperfect as last season. Well, actually, nothing is as bad as last season, and that's kind of the rallying cry. At least it's my rallying cry. Nothing can be as bad as last season. Uh, the team, obviously, it was it was, and I know you asked me about now, but I'm just going to preface it by saying we we all know how much the Canucks underperformed last year, right? And it really was uh, a perfect storm uh, of you know roster upheaval, no training camp or no exhibition games, a terrible schedule at the start, 16 games in 27 days. Nobody else had anything remotely close to that in Canada at the start. And then players got injured right away and then players got sick, the biggest outbreak. And all all of that said, the team just didn't play very well. And that was the bottom line. So coming into this season, there'd been quite a bit of positivity over the summer with the moves uh, that the team had made. I mean, certainly there's a lot of long-term risk in, in a couple of the deals, but um, in the short term, the team seemed to get a lot better. And so into training camp, I think there was this sense within the organization, there certainly excitement among the players. Uh, It was a chance to build some momentum. You have, you finally have a proper training camp and a, uh, full preseason to assimilate new players and and get your systems and your lines and all that and that just never really transpired yeah. you know with yeah. with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson missing the first half of camp by the time they came back Brock Besser had been hurt and it, we were first told it would be about a week it's now coming up to two he's probably not going to play in Edmonton by the way in the opener so if you think about that their their first line wingers, uh, Pedersen and Besser, two guys who are as closely connected as just about any line mates in the league are going to go an entire preseason without having skated together. So it was disjointed. The team only won two games. They saved their worst for last, the the preseason game on Saturday against Edmonton where they lost 3-2, but they were down 3-0 against a a, a depleted uh, Oilers team. 
And uh, there's just not a whole, there's no momentum uh, basically going into the season. That said, the team should still be better. And, you know, the players that we're able to talk to because we're still somewhat limited, I mean, they say for the record that, that, that they are excited. And I think they are. The, uh, I'll say this guaranteed is that there is a legitimate hunger among the players and within the organization to do a hell of a lot better than they did last year. Because, um, you know, embarrassment is a word that's probably used too much with pro athletes. Uh, but I think some of those guys were embarrassed at the performance of the team to finish last in the Canadian division and plummet the way they did from what had been such a high in Edmonton the previous summer. There is a there is a lot of hunger here to make amends. You know, in one spot I look at, and when you lose a, a, a goaltender uh, like a Markstrom and he comes out to Calgary, uh, you know, Thatcher Demko, I thought, and I haven't broken down the numbers, it looked to me like he was very good in the last 30 games or so of that season. Is he the guy this team can lean on uh, going forward? Well, they, they're counting on it. They signed him to a new uh, multi-year deal for $5 million a year, uh, and, and he was good. The, uh, individually, there were, honestly, there were about two and a half bright spots last year out of the roster. One was Thatcher Demko because he did show that he can be a number one goalie. Now it was a 56-game season. He's got to do it now for 82 games. So he's got to show everybody again this season. But he was very good. Uh, his performance, if you, if you dig into some of the analytics about expected goals against, I know, Robin, uh, you're, you're huge into analytics. Oh, he's big, huh? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Demko is, you know, probably top 10 in the NHL uh, among starters last season. And, and so now he's got to continue that. The other bright spot last season was rookie Nils Hoaglander having a very good year. And then the half, I'd say, uh, another really talented defenseman, Jack Rathbone. But he only got in at the end of the season in May in garbage time. And he played, he played well. But Demko was the most important story for them last year because – when when you guys have seen it in Edmonton, when you don't have the goalie, sometimes nothing else matters, including having the best player in the world. Yeah. And the Canucks have been lucky. You know, they've they've had a string of really good uh, goalies, uh, Luongo, Schneider, Markstrom, and now it's Thatcher Demko, and that's a lot to live up to. But it's so vital uh, because of the deficiencies in other areas of the team, especially the defense isn't strong uh, to the point where they'd like it to be, that Thatcher Demko is going to have to be uh, terrific again for this team to make the playoffs. And, and he's very capable of being that. You know, it's crazy because I completely forgot about the COVID mess that the the hockey club had to go through last season. So when you're yeah, talking well, about... We, sorry, sorry We had forgotten about it as well, and <laughs> we're, we got a sober reminder... Brandon Sutter wasn't at this camp at yes. all. Yeah, uh, with fatigue and GM Jim Benning finally said uh, on Monday that uh, it's long haul symptoms, and this is you know coming up to seven and a half months since Brandon Sutter had had COVID. So, so kind of trying to forget about it. Although you're right, it, it's always going to be in the forefront in a lot of ways. Who's really got to step it up a little bit here? Is it is it really hard to to ask a question like that of the Vancouver Canucks who went through so much last season? No, no, it's not because there's so much room for so many players to step up from where they were because, uh, again, the COVID kind of piled on top of everything and it made it impossible to have any kind of 
semblance of a competitive finish, 19 games in the final 32 days with a hollowed out team recovering from COVID. So no wonder they, they finished last, but the team hadn't performed well before then, even when guys were healthy, not well enough, certainly. So there's lots of room. I would say the biggest thing, you know, we, we mentioned Thatcher Demko. It, Elias Pedersen has to come back and have a really big year. It was a, it was a, a poor year for him last year. And not just because he got hurt, but that's the worry now. He had a wrist injury severe enough, suffered March 2nd. It looked innocuous at the time. Well, it basically was a four-month injury. So he was able to ramp up his training kind of mid-summer. He feels great now. But he only had 20 points in, in the 26 games he played. He certainly was not the player he had been his first couple of seasons when he was uh, clearly one of the the best forwards in this league at, at age 20 and 21, Elias Pettersson was that good. So he needs a bounce back here. He's got a new contract. Uh, he's among those players who's keenly motivated. There's a lot of accountability there. He knows he wasn't, wasn't good enough and has to be better. And he also accepts now that he's being paid 7.35 million a year, there's another level of expectation. And he has to meet that with another level of performance. So he has to A, be healthy and B, be very good again. And uh, as long as he's got the first thing, I think he'll be the second thing. And then you go through the lineup and and almost to a man, you could say the same thing about others. Quinn Hughes is the other linchpin, right? These are the two best players on the team. And they're they're 23 and 22 years old. And, and Quinn Hughes had, uh, I wouldn't say his season was, was poor, but it was erratic. There were spells that he was very good, and there were spells that he was uh, a liability defensively. And that's, that's been his challenge now at this stage of his career. Another guy on uh, an even richer contract, he got the long-term deal because the Canucks could only afford one. So they... they they went with a slightly cheaper long-term, which would be the defenseman over the forward. So, so Quinn Hughes, six years at 7.85, Pedersen's on a three-year deal. But Hughes also recognizes he has, to be, he has to be better. There's another level of expectation. And interestingly, when uh, we asked him, you know, what were the priorities for him in the offseason? What did he work on? He talked a lot about uh, uh, defending. And you think, okay, well, how can you, how do you work on defending on your own? And, and he talked about, you know, skating backwards. It sounds simple. Yeah. I think he did it. I think he did it pretty well already, but you know, he, it's, you know, talking about uh, skating backwards and pivoting, but he also, he has the benefit of having a professional coach as a father, his dad, Jim Hughes actually works for Pat Brisson and JP Barry, who are uh, these Canucks agents and so his dad ran basically a camp for Pedersen and Hughes and Brady Kachuk, the other high-profile holdout who's close friends with Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes. They were all staying in Quinn's family's home in Michigan, and his dad was running these practices every day. So they did a lot of three-on-three work. Uh, Quinn is, says he's really committed to being better defensively because when you look at this was kind of the summer for defensemen. And if you look at, say, Kale McCarr and Miro Heiskanen and, and Darnell Nurse in Edmonton, but that's at another level. I'm, I'm talking about the guys coming out of their entry level. Well, the guys who got more money than Quinn Hughes, and there haven't been many of them, are guys who play in all situations and guys who kill penalties and they're out late in games defending leads. Quinn Hughes still needs to round out his game that way. I really think he's probably better than people give him credit for defensively. 
but it certainly is the weak half of his game. And, uh, you know, Travis Green hasn't used him to kill penalties. Uh, sometimes he's out late in a game to defend leads. He'd like to be out more. So that's kind of a key for him. But those two players are a pretty good starting point for the Canucks. That Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson have to be better and they have to play like elite players. And if they do that, they're good enough to drag a lot of these other guys uh, up with them. But everybody's motivated. There's, you could go through, literally, you could go through the lineup and say, this guy has to be better because compared to last year. Ian, uh, how about that blue line as a group? You talk about dragging people along. Uh, I, I like Quinn Hughes as a player a lot from what I've seen of him. But how about that group? Is it good enough to get the job done? Well, it's good enough uh, for the team to be in the playoffs. Uh, whether it's good enough ultimately for them to compete is is questionable. And it is, it is the weak point uh, or the weak side of the team. They've got a lot of depth and skill and speed up front. They have some very good players on defense. It's just not deep. And things have been uh, exacerbated by the mysterious absence of Travis Hamannick, who re-signed for two years. He was expected to play with Quinn Hughes, which he did most of last year. You know, I guess technically that would make him a top four defenseman, even though, you know, he's probably an 18-minute guy. Um, but he was supposed to be in camp. He didn't come to camp. There's been a lot of speculation about you know, whether it's vaccine related, it's certainly COVID and restriction and guideline related. Jim Benning keeps cautioning us that there's more to this than people understand and we should lay off and not make assumptions and, and that's fine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Mm -hmm. if, if this is a mental health issue or something with his family, then everybody wants him to take whatever time he needs. But it, it, it does leave a big hole in their defense. And now they added a whole heap of guys in the off season uh, for depth. They had 17 contracts on the first day of free agency. Now, most of those were guys who were kind of in the bubble. They might push for a spot on the Canucks and a couple of them have made the team, but it was also for their minor league team. But among that group, probably the headliner of that group of depth players was Luke Shen, who is an interesting story because he basically saved his career with the Canucks a couple of years ago. The Ducks had dumped him in the AHL, basically said, uh, we don't really have any more plans for you. He got traded a couple of months into his AHL time. The Canucks left him in the AHL. They had some injuries. They called him up at the end of the year. Turns out he could still play. He goes to Tampa and only wins a couple of Stanley Cups. So it's a great story for, for Luke Shen, but now Instead of him being, let's say, the seventh defenseman on this team, he's going to be in, in the top six, and he's going to be playing every night. Uh, Nate Schmidt looked like a great get last year, but just never really fit with Vancouver. He wasn't happy. The team wasn't happy. And the accountants weren't happy because he was making $6 million a year. So they managed to trade him to Winnipeg. I, I, I think that was a good thing to offload it. They basically got their money back on the trade for the bargain price they'd paid to Vegas to get him. So no harm, no foul on Schmidt, but then they have to replace him too. So they signed Tucker Pullman and that, uh, you know, even if you're a Tucker Pullman fan, that's a bit of a downgrade as well from Nate Schmidt to Tucker Pullman. Although Tucker Pullman actually has looked really good through this, through this uh, training camp. He's been one of the better, steadier Canucks, but there's, uh, there's just not, uh, you know, a lot of the quality that you might want, at 
the bottom uh, uh, of the defense. A uh, uh, wild card is Jack Rathbone. I mentioned him about 10 minutes and 5,000 words ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that he's a really talented young guy, but he, he's, had, he's had one partial season of pro hockey uh, after going to Harvard. And, and he's a dynamic, highly skilled, highly mobile guy. And he's going to be a really good player in this league. But is he ready now? Uh, and, and that's the question. If he's ready now, how much is he ready for? Can he play 18 or 20 minutes? He played 15 last year in garbage time. It's a lot to ask. So there are question marks about the defense. Uh, the team's position is that they feel like they're, they're so much better up front that they're just going to be a better team and they won't be defending as much as they had to. And there, there's maybe some truth to that, but where the Canucks have really struggled is the in-zone defending. Once teams get uh, set up, they have a hard time breaking the cycle. They have a hard time winning pucks and making the plays to get the puck out of their zone. And we saw innumerable times last year where, you know, 30 seconds of pressure by the other team turned into a minute and a half in the Canucks zone. Yeah. And it ends, it ends typically either a goal or a penalty. So the Canucks have to be better in their zone, but it would help if they can play in the other team's zone a, a lot more. And that's what the hope is. We, we were chatting with Peter Labardius at the front end of this podcast. And, and I, I alluded to, I always remember uh, Peter Marr, the longtime broadcaster, Hall of Famer, of talking about how important it is these first two months. It really does set the table for whether or not you're going to make the postseason. And the Flames have got a lot of road games in the first two months. The Canucks open up on a six-game road trip. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, do you think, here? Well, I think it's a bad thing. The team's official position is that this allows them to bond and get oh, yeah. on the road and get to know each other. I was surprised when I saw it, when the schedule came out, simply because so much of what went wrong last year was predicated on that awful start they had, which was, uh, you know, the, there's no way to get around it. It sounds like an excuse, but the schedule was just so bad. Yeah. You know, they, they, had, they had 16 games in the 27 nights. Ten of them were on the road, grouped into two long road trips, sandwiched around one whole short homestand. They had uh, no practice days. There, there was no proper practice day where you just had a day between games where you're rested and you can practice. Everything was travel practice or practice travel. And, and you know, once you do that for five days, then you need a day off. They had no preparation time. And so I, when the schedule came out and they're starting with six straight on the road, I thought, really? Like, is this honestly the best? Yeah, the best thing for this team. But the one of the key differences is the preparation is as perfect as it's been. At least they've had some preparation in the preseason, and they've had some preseason games. Seven of them. They've had a chance, Travis Green and his staff, to try different players. So they have a far better idea going into the season onto this first road trip, what works and and what won't. But man, there's a lot of pressure for an 82-game season to kind of position yourself where it feels like the first six games, obviously you don't have to win. I'm not even going to put a number on it, but you've got to play well. Yeah. You, you certainly ha- you certainly have to win some. You know, you can't come back at, you know, one, four, and one or, or one and five. So there's a lot of pressure on them at the start, and it's not an ideal schedule. But you know, Edmonton is is a really good team, but they have some winnable games on the trip. You know, they're in Buffalo, they're in Detroit. 
So we're going to find out in a, in a hurry whether they're going to be better than, than last year. They're going to be better than the start has to be better, and that starts with the six-game trip. One last one for me, and um, I was looking at a Sportsnet panel looking at the Pacific Division, and that's one thing we can't forget either. We're we're back in the old alignments now after a, an oddball season for the Canadian teams. Um, I have, I think there was, I don't know how many people were on the panel. You were included in there. I think 15 people picked Vegas uh, to win the Pacific, and there were a couple that picked Edmonton. Did you have uh, Vancouver in the top group of four? Like, I see two tiers here, or in that bottom group of four when you look at them and how the other teams stack up. Yeah, uh, I, I see Vancouver in the mix, and, and we didn't have to designate one through eight. And I had, uh, I believe I had Vegas winning, and I think Edmonton is going to give them a good run. And Edmonton, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Edmonton wins the division. Um, and then I think there's a gap. And then I think, you know, a lot of people think Seattle is going to be really good. Uh, I remain to be convinced. Uh, I don't think they're going to be bad. I think Seattle's definitely going to be in the mix, but I'm not sure they're going to be daylight ahead of, you know, Vancouver and Calgary and, and Winnipeg and, uh, uh, I'm thinking of the Canadian division. You did it again. Don't have to worry about Winnipeg. All right. um, you know, the California teams aren't going to be great, but uh, a lot of people think they're going to be better. Uh, San Jose just looks like a mess, but certainly L.A. seems to be going the right way. Uh, Anaheim, they're kind of like the Canucks. I'm sure they're thinking they can't possibly be as bad. So it's it's the division where, you know, fourth place, maybe fourth place is 86 points. Maybe it's 88. You don't have to have uh, – I don't think you're going to have to have 95 points to make the playoffs in, in the Pacific. And I think the Canucks are going to be in that mix. I think they should be a playoff team and everybody predicates their picks on health. But, you know, if this team stays healthy and they added Oliver Ekman, Larson and Connor Garland for basically uh, no impactful player off the roster, they didn't have to give up anything from the roster to get those guys. That's a first pairing defenseman, a top six winger who, you know, if he plays with good players could get 25 goals, this year, they've got Vasily Podkolzin, this talented Russian winger who's kind of been, as you might expect, from a 20-year-old um, player straight out of Russia. He's been a little bit inconsistent, but he's had some very good games. He certainly looks confident and capable with the puck. And and uh, you know, they added Jason Dickinson, who's uh, for for the last couple of years a glaring hole in this lineup has been who's who's that third line center and Dickinson has been playing on the fourth line, but he's really built to be that third line center, a big, strong defensive oriented, but has skill and speed as well center. So the team should be better. They should be a playoff team. They should be somewhere in that top four. Before we let you go, Seattle, Vancouver, the Canucks play the Kraken in the second week on a hockey night in Canada game. What about this rivalry? Does it have to be manufactured? Is it really, truly going to be there, Ian? No. Does, does Calgary Edmonton have to be manufactured? No, <laughs> no. not at all. <laughs> no, it's going to be that way. I, I, I remember as a kid, um, Vancouver and Seattle had uh, NASL soccer teams. The Whitecaps and, and was, what were they, the yeah, Sounders? The, yes, the Seattle Sounders. Okay, right. And it was it was... 
it was just massive whenever they played each other. It'd be 10,000 people from Vancouver going down to watch an NASL game. It'd be the same thing when Seattle came up here. Sadly, there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity uh, at the professional level for for rivalries. Football, they're, they're in different leagues. Baseball, when Vancouver's had a team, it obviously hasn't been a major league team. So this is the first chance on really uh, a major professional sports level other than soccer. And soccer, MLS, is a, obviously, it's a tier below NHL in terms of stature. This is going to be a massive rivalry. What hurts it initially, and I feel badly uh, for the Kraken because they've they've had years to prepare for this. The border is still not really fully open. It's open for Americans to come up if they're fully vaccinated to come up to uh, Vancouver and see the games at Rogers Arena. But uh, people from Vancouver cannot drive down to Seattle as of yet and see those games. So that's. That's a shame, but this is going to be a rivalry. And the fact that a lot of people think Seattle's going to be better than Vancouver right out of the gate, and <laughs> certainly their defense. You look at you look at the Kraken's defense. I mean, it's a playoff caliber defense for sure. But the fact that Seattle might be better than Vancouver right uh, out of the gate, I think, just adds a little more spice to what's already going to be a good rival. This is going to be fantastic for the Northwest and for the NHL. It's also appropriate that that's the home opener for the Kraken, right? With the Canucks in there. So that'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for your time. We know it's a a busy, busy uh, part of the schedule for you because just getting this, uh, this whole thing started takes so much work and so much prep. So thanks for your time today. And we'll talk again through the season. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Nice to be on with you again. And I'll be getting on a flight to Edmonton. It seems Edmonton are the only games. That's the only city I want to travel to all the games, all the Canucks games in Edmonton. I'll try and be there. I don't know about you, but waking up this morning, it it is a little on the brisk side. It's obviously the month of October. And you know what? I was chatting with Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. And we were talking about the real estate year that was, even though we still have a few more months to go. But it's been a pretty good year. And Brent is actually selling a property for a very good friend of mine. And we're finding that things are kind of hopping. And we love that. So obviously, there's still time to trade your current home for a larger one. Maybe your household is feeling a little small with your current family roster. Well, the team over at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, they can help you with the sale of your place and the purchase of your next superstar. Yeah, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. You can also give them a call at 780-464-0075. Hey, you can start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation and no deadline for this offer, so don't let the market pass you by. Both buyers and sellers can give the Macintosh Group a ring. As I mentioned, here's the number, 780-464-0075. That's the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Or you can also find them at macintoshgroup.ca and tell them the outsider sent you.
three guests today, Robin. That was uh, fantastic stuff. Yeah, I would say uh, that might be the top end of what we can squeeze into an hour, but uh, a lot of fun. So a big thank you to Peter Labardius and Ian McIntyre, who joined us to talk NHL hockey, and also Eddie Steele to talk about the Elks and what's going on around the Canadian Football League. Hey, uh, before we disappear and depart, we got to uh, tell you that uh, there's lots of stuff coming up for us over the next few weeks. We're looking to expand our, our podcast to twice a week. We're getting there. But in the meantime, you can uh, check us out on Twitter. Give us some feedback. The handle's really simple. It's at Outsiders2020. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe and click on our RSS feed. It's on all of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts. I see Deezer's on fire right now as a Pocket Cast or a podcast provider, which is kind of neat. And we're also on YouTube as well. Robin, how do you listen to our show? Do you ever listen back to the show? I know that you were involved in it, so there's really not a lot of reason to listen to it. But uh, are you an Apple guy or what? No, I always just click on the link that you provide that takes me right back directly. So when I see it on Twitter, I click on that, I get the podcast, I listen away, and uh, uh, that's simple as that for me. Well, that's good. That's exactly what we want people to do. Your support, by the way, is greatly appreciated. And if you uh, see the potential in advertising with us, as a few people are starting to notice us, I love that. That's fantastic. I know, Robin, you appreciate it, but we're looking to add some new features along the way. And this just gets bigger and better with your support. And the biggest thing is keep retweeting to all of your friends. Yeah. That is essential. I was recording my part of this at the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton. And Robin at his garage studio in southwest no. Edmonton. Are you not in the garage today? No, does that piece of art behind me look like it's hanging in a garage? <laughs> I think I just uh, put foot in mouth. <laughs> no, you're right. More think about it now. You are in the main. You're in the main abode. Yes, at, I'm in the dining room. Uh, yeah, excellent. Well, it sounds great today. Uh, thanks for your time. That's fantastic as always. I look forward to next week and uh, have yourself a great week, Robin. I shall. Storm in the castle. <laughs>